our Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to start off with a couple verses to kick me off here. I don't want to tell you the title of it yet because I want to lead into it. Ephesians 5, and I'm going to start with uh, chapter or verses 1 through 2. And it says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, you know, usually you don't start off with a sentence by, with therefore, right? Usually therefore means it told you something, therefore this. Well, if you look back in Ephesians 4, Starting with, uh, boy, you can read all of four, but look, 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then it goes on to say, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Then it goes on to say, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smell and aroma. That's my first passage. Go to 1 John chapter 4 now. 1 John chapter 4, and then I'm going to look at... Uh, Verses 7 through 11. And this will lead me into what I want to talk about today. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. That's a popular one, right? You always hear that. God is love, right? Verse 9. And this, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, the Bible said there that God is love. So the very nature of God is love. In other words, everything that God does on this earth is motivated by love, right? That's a fair statement. Everything. Everything he does is motivated by love because he is love. That's his nature. Amen? Even, even when, when there's correction, uh, on someone maybe who's backslidden or something. It's in love because he's trying to correct that person, get them back on the path so he, they, that person can be blessed. Amen? So now uh, it says, we as Christians are to be imitators of God as dear children. So in 1 John 4, that said that everyone that loves is born of God or born again or saved, right? Well, let's think about this now. We know that every person on the face of this earth is not born again or not saved. Is that right? Is everyone on this earth saved? No, no, no. So we know that every person on the face of this earth is not saved. But here it said that everyone that loves is born of God or born again. So there must be a different level of love that a Christian should be walking in. There should be a difference from the world's view on love. You understand what I'm saying, where I'm going with this? Christians should be walking on a different level, because 1 John 4 points that out. Um, if simply doing a kind act for an individual, if simply doing something kind for someone else is what 1 John 4 is talking about, then every person on the face of this earth could, could claim that they're saved, right? Right? One of the greatest enemies of this generation, and a lot of ministers have said this throughout the years, 
Wesley and all of them. One of the greatest enemies of this generation is preaching good works apart from Christ. Or morality apart from making Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. Why is that? First off, have, have you ever seen the movie Time Changer? Has anyone here seen that Christian movie, Time Changer? It kind of goes along the same concept. You need to get it. In fact, when we get in our new building with our new projector and screen, we're going to start having movie nights, maybe on Friday nights or Saturday nights, like once a month or something. But I want to show this movie. It's called Time Changer, and it deals with this exact topic here. A Christian, just in a nutshell, a Christian professor at a seminary writes a book about morals. And uh, he goes on to say that, uh, that good morals, teaching good morals apart from Christ is okay. And this other professor, because he needed the endorsement of the school to get it, to, to have it published. And this one professor said, I'm not, I'm not signing this. He said, what do you mean? You're saying that having good, good morals even apart from Christ is bad? He said, it's disastrous preaching good morals apart from Christ. Because you'll lead people to hell without knowing Christ. Uh, in other words, I've heard many people who have not made Jesus their Lord and Savior claim to know God and be saved simply because they do good works for people. And at that point, salvation becomes uh, works rather than of grace through Jesus. You see, the, you see what I'm trying to point out there? See, salvation is not by works. It's through Jesus Christ. So that's why it's disastrous just to teach morals apart from Christ. They need to know the authority who's telling them to live, the, live right. And they can only live right if they're born again, when that sin nature in their spirit's washed away through the blood of Jesus, right? See, the fact is, there's a lot of nice people who did a lot of good acts on this earth in hell right now, who never made Jesus Lord and Savior of their life. Well, you know, hey, they may have done a lot of nice things for people, but they never took that final step in making Jesus Lord of their life. So that's why I say there's a lot of nice people who had good intentions in hell right now because they made it a salvation of works rather than of grace. See, now, uh, good works apart from Christ being your Lord and Savior are called dead works or as Romans calls it, filthy rags. Amen? You're not gaining any favor with God towards salvation when you help someone out if you're not born again. It's just like on Passover. Remember in Exodus? The only thing that that death angel was looking for was the blood over the doorpost. And the only thing that's going to get you into heaven is the blood of Jesus and you, if you made him Lord of your life, right? Now, uh, good works, however, are commanded and expected to follow the Christian. They're commanded. We're commanded to have good works. See, for the Christian, good works are an outward manifestation or a fruit of an inward change, the born-again experience. And uh, so evidently, there's a fruit that a person cannot attain without being born again or saved. Now, Jesus pointed out that there will be people Remember this scripture? That there will be people who thought they were saved, and then on judgment day, they'll find out they truly did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, many will come to him on judgment day and say, Lord, we have prophesied, cast out demons in your name. And then he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. And then he goes on to say what, that, what the problem was. It says, you workers of iniquity or sin. Notice those people came up to him and said, Lord. See, and in fact, that scripture blows the whistle on uh, once saved, always saved theology. Amen? How many of you know it's a constant relationship with Jesus? It's day by day. It's walking with him every day. Uh, and if you're not doing that, you're going to fall away, is what the Bible calls the falling away. Now, when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of your born again or recreated spirit man. That's what's born again. Your, your body's obviously not, not born again. If a bald guy prays the sinner's prayer, he's still going to be bald after he prays the sinner's prayer. <laughs> right? <laughs> if he's 5'5", five, five, he's not going to be 6'5", after praying the sinner's prayer. So obviously, that change he's talking about is the, the uh, spirit man. 
on the inside, when, when uh, the Holy Spirit comes in, washes away, the blood of Jesus washes away that sin nature on the inside. So, uh, but at that point, when you become a Christian, you have now been empowered to overcome sin and to live a life of holiness that's pleasing to God. See, an unsaved person can't even attain that because their very nature, they're a sinner. You know, a lot of, a lot of Christians call themselves a sinner. Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, no, actually the Bible calls you a saint after you're born again. Because sinner and saint is referring to your, your nature, that your spiritual nature. See? Well, what are you saying? A Christian never sins after they're born again? No, I'm not saying that. But your very nature, your spirit man's been changed, and you're no longer called a sinner in God's eyes. You're called a saint, a child of the living God. And God's not a father to a sinner. You understand that? God's not a father to sinners who have that sin nature in their spirit. Um, so, uh, so Jesus pointed out that there will be people on that day who come to him and say, Lord, Lord, you know, what's going on here? He goes, well, depart from me. So we got to make sure, and, and that's why this time of communion, I always, you know, it's a time of reflecting. It's a time of examination of your heart. I mean, because I'm, we don't know. I mean, when you're going to take your last breath on this earth, Right? And I don't want to be unsure of my eternal destination. That's for sure. Now, uh, but now, listen. So the Christian is, is empowered to overcome sin once they're born again. But you still have a free will. You still have a free will. You still have to choose God's way over the fleshly or sinful desires that's on this earth, right? The, the sinner, the unsaved, they have, that's all they can do is sin. That's their nature, but a Christian now, they've been born again. But don't, don't kid yourself. You're not a puppet on a string. God's given you a free will. And you must freely choose to obey him in life, right? Um, now, God, you know, people say, well, that's impossible to live a sinful, sinless life. That's impossible to, to live a life that's on fire for God. Well, let me just remind you of this, that God would not command us Christians not to sin if it were not possible to do. God would not command or expect something of his children if he didn't empower us to do it. So that's why we're without excuses, Christians, right? The fact is, it is possible to live a life that's free from sin and pleasing to God. It's what the Bible calls walking in the Spirit. How many of you heard that term before, walking in the Spirit? When I first got born again, I was like, what in the world? What are you talking about walking in the Spirit? I'd ask people at a church I was going to down in Waterford, what do they mean walking in the Spirit? And they'd give an answer, I'm like, Oh, that don't sound right. It just never settled with me. Well, simply walking in the Spirit means this. Being led by your born-again spirit man to make the decisions in life. Because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. And he's the one helping you live in a life to overcome sin. Right? That's what it means, walking in the Spirit. Because your spirit man wants to obey God. But how many of you know your flesh can creep up and you, and you can do things that aren't pleasing to God? That's for sure. So 1 John 4 points out that there's a level of love. I'm getting back to love. I went on a little rabbit trail there. 1 John 4 points out that there is a level of love that an unsaved person is not able to attain to. But the born-again Christian is able to walk in. Go to Matthew 5.13. I want to show you something here. The title of my message is Characteristics of Divine Love. Because there's different levels of love. And the Christian is the only one who can walk in divine love. And I'll show you why in a moment. Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. The, my words in my Bible are read. What does that mean? All right, I'm training you guys up pretty good, huh? Jesus is doing the talking there. Listen, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled upon underfoot by men. You, he's talking to Christians, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, that it may give light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So uh, evidently, according to this scripture, there is an element of good works that the unsaved can't even attain to. In fact, Jesus said that the good works of a Christian said that our good works will draw the unsaved to him to get saved. Said right there, a city on a hill can't be hidden, right? He said, put your light on a hill that they all can see and be drawn toward you. So there's a good works. The good works of a born-again Christian is actually going to draw the unsaved. Now, have you ever had an unsaved person say to you, or have you ever heard this? An unsaved person comes up to you and says, there's something different about you. There's something different about your life. I don't know what it is, but I want it, right? That's proof right there that obviously there's a level of good work. There's a level of love that a Christian can walk in that the unsaved can't because they want what you have. They evidently don't have what you have, and what you have is the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, a born-again spirit. That sin nature has been washed away, and, uh, and Jesus said it's a light. Let your light so shine, right? Now, um, so what's the difference? What's the line? I kind of mentioned it, but I'll say it this way. What is the line in the sand that God draws between the world and the body of Christ? What is that line that's drawn? Well, I cheated a little bit and I told you. That line is love. It's a love that the world can't have. They don't have. Only the born-again Christian can have. Only the empowerment of the Holy Spirit living on the inside can cause you to love a person with that kind of love. Characteristics of divine love is the name of this message. So the Bible said, I'm getting it more in, I'm going to get into some points here about divine love, characteristics of. But the Bible says, just to refresh your memory, that God is love. And so remember, everything that God does is motivated by love. And Ephesians 5.1 said that we are to be imitators of God as dear children, right? Imitate. What does it mean to be an imitator? Well, to love how he loves, do what he does. So how does he love? And that's what I'm going to get into in a moment. Here's a couple nuggets for you. Your love walk as a Christian towards others is evidence that you are being led by the Holy Spirit. Your love walk determines your level of spiritual maturity as a Christian. At that point, when you get to that kind of maturity as a Christian, how do you know you're there? I have written down here that God's desires become your desires. God's priorities become your priorities in life. So if you get to that point, you know you're doing something right. You, knew, you know you're growing spiritually. Go to John 15. John chapter 15. See, the Bible says, yeah, yeah, we're a faith church, aren't we? We're a faith church, we call ourselves. Well, why aren't you talking about faith? Well, because if your love walk's not straightened out, your faith won't work anyways. Don't expect to receive from God if you're not loving others. Because he's commanded us to love. The Bible says that faith works by love, right? So in other words, you're not walking in love. Your faith isn't going to work. You can just forget it. So this is very foundational, even with the topic of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? So if your faith isn't working, well, you must not be loving right. Amen? Now, listen. So when you're loving, obviously you're pleasing God because your faith will work. So we want to look at John chapter 15. And verses 9 through 14. Listen to this. As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus talking, the words are in red. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Now I want to point out here, the Bible says that we are to be imitators of God as dear children, right? Well, look what Jesus said there. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Jesus was an imitator of his heavenly father's love. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but I see a chain of command going on there. His heavenly father loved Jesus. Jesus imitated the father. And now we're commanded to love, so we're to imitate Jesus. Right? Jesus said, love as I have loved. Now, listen. Uh, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 
just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How many of you know how Jesus loved us? That's a whole other level of human love, right? That's just not a natural love. I'll get into that in a moment. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you, if you do whatever I command you. Now, uh, so we see in verse 9 that Jesus was an imitator of the Father's love. And we are to be imitators of Jesus and, of course, the Heavenly Father. So there's a chain of command going on there. Look at verse 11. I want to point something out here also. It says, these things I have spoken to you. So he's talking to Christians. That my joy may remain in you. And that your joy may be full. Well, if you're lacking joy in your Christian life, you might want to start on your love walk. Because right when Jesus said that, it goes on to say, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. So if you're not living in the fullness of joy, if you're not living in, in a full uh, uh, you know, a happy life that God intends for you to live as a Christian, I always tell people, check by examining your love walk toward other people. Because it's in the same context where Jesus said, I'm telling you these things that your joy, my joy might remain in you. Now, I want to point out two Greek words here. Two Greek words that are translated love. How many of you know on this earth, when we hear the word love, a lot of times we just throw it away. We're like, hey, you know, love. Yeah, oh, I love chocolate. I love cake. I love, you notice the pattern there that I'm going on? No, that's my own pattern. But, but anyways, we throw the word love around so frivolously, don't we? Love, love. But in the Greek, there's different Greek words that are translated love. See, the, the English language is very limited compared to the Greek language. Uh, many times, so there's more, more than one Greek word for one English word. So, in other words, two Greek words for love, it's just love in English. But I want to point out the difference here because this is incredible. This is the importance of studying the Bible, not just reading it, but actually going in and looking at the Greek words because the Greek language is really rich. The first word translated love is phileo in Greek. And the second word is agape. Well, okay, so you're like, what's the big deal? Big deal, there's two words. This is the big deal. The word phileo means a brotherly or a human kind of love. The second word agape in Greek means God kind of love or divine love. Now, that's very important. But I, so, so now I just want to give you a few points to share with you about agape love. We know what the, what the worldly and human kind of love is. It's that I love chocolate thing. Oh, I love my kid kind of thing. That's still human love. That's still human love over there. But I want to share with you a few points about the God kind of love or agape. Uh, Number one, the first point about divine love or agape kind of love that God has is that for the Christian, the Holy Spirit is the source of that divine love within the Christian. Romans 5.5 5 tells us that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts or in our spirits. Any, any, anywhere you see in the word that talks about the heart of a person, it's talking about your spirit, man. It's not talking about your physical pump, right? Right? Holy Ghost don't live inside an organ, right? He lives inside your spirit, man. Now, Romans 5.5 5 tells us that the love of God, when you're born again, is shed abroad in our hearts, in our spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And that is why the unsaved, I kind of touch on this, that's why the unsaved cannot walk in that divine love. Because an unsaved person has no part of the Holy Spirit, Right? In fact, Jesus went on to call an unsaved person a child of the devil. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is not going to reside in a child of the devil, right? You must, the sin nature must be washed away for the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to live in you, right? Amen. Hence, he's called the Holy Spirit, right? Holy, amen. Now, that's something we have to keep in mind, Holy Spirit, right? Not just spirit, the Holy Spirit. 
so that's why the unsaved can't walk in that divine love. They have not been given the Holy Spirit, uh, but the Christian now does have that ability to walk in divine love. It was that kind of divine love. How many of you know Jesus was a man who was led by the Holy Spirit when he was on this earth? When Jesus was walking on this earth in the flesh, he was led by the Holy Spirit, right? Well, it was the Holy Spirit within him that caused Jesus to cry out on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, while he suspended, was suspended between heaven and earth on a bloody cross. That's love. Amen? How many of you know if, if someone in the world, an unsaved person, was hanging on that cross, nothing but four-letter words would be flying out at them soldiers who crucified him, right? But it was divine love that caused Jesus to say, Father, forgive them. It was divine love that caused Stephen to cry out to God and say, Father, lay not this sin to their charge as he was being stoned to death by his enemies. Remember that in the book of Acts? Stephen was being stoned by enemies. And he said, Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. Well, we know if an unsaved person was doing that, well, it wouldn't be that pleasant of words coming out of their mouth. Amen? But only the Holy Spirit could plant that kind of love inside of the human heart. How many of you have seen testimonies of maybe a, a family member who was murdered by someone and a family member comes to that murderer and you know they're a Christian there's no and that that family member can confront that murderer and say I forgive you and, and, and they start lead talking to them about Jesus Christ and about their eternal salvation how many of you know that's divine love in operation right there that is not an easy thing to do but it can be done only through the power of the Holy Spirit right? Now, Jesus commands us Christians to bless those that curse you and to pray for those who despitefully use you. Well, we know that someone in the world, someone who's not saved, well, all they're going to do is just back talk and, 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 you know, like I said, just sling off some four-letter words at the individual, right? I'm telling you, there is a level of love that a Christian can walk in that the world can't. And we're expected to. We're commanded to walk in that, right? And uh, so I told you that God would not command us to do something that's not possible to do. In fact, the grace of God, the grace of God is not a license to sin. The grace of God is this, that he has enabled us Christians through the Holy Spirit to obey his commands. That's the grace of God. How many of you know you heard people who are out sinning and and you know they're you know they're Christians and stuff and and they say oh the grace of God will just cover me well no the grace of God is meant is is from the Holy Spirit living in you to empower you to overcome sin right grace of God's not a license to sin love should be a part of your everyday life as a Christian number two divine love pursues divine love always pursues Luke nineteen ten. Jesus said this, that he came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. Notice the word seek. He's talking about pursuing those people, pursuing us. And that, by the way, took place before there was a Christian on this earth. Amen? There are still sinners. That took place while mankind was still cursing God and rebelling against him. Yet Jesus came to give himself as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of mankind and to take our punishment upon himself. Jesus said, I come to seek and to save. Notice that he didn't wait. Jesus didn't wait until someone did a good act before he came to die on the cross. Right? That's why it's not by works. That's why it's not by works. But divine love caused him to come to this earth and to seek and to save that which was lost. Divine love is the motivator that, God, that causes God to send laborers into the lives of the unsaved and backslidden Christian's path. There is a pursuing taking place. God is pursuing mankind. Why? Because it's his will that none should perish, right? But all, all should be saved. And God, as we studied in the past about being a friend of God, God wants that friendship with Christians, God's not too busy. That's just a religious mindset that you can throw out the window. God wants partnership and friendship with us between mankind and himself. It's not just a religious thing. It's relationship, right? 
But about pursuing, there's a pursuing. Uh, divine love always pursues. Just before September 11th, 9-11 took place, there, there was uh, something aired. I, I don't know if it was a 700 Club, but it was a Christian show. And they were showing, peop, Christians were saying, you know, 9-11 took place. And they were showing, actually, they're showing camera shots before 9-11 took place, like a week or two before. There's tables set up. There's people doing open-air preaching, handing out tracts before 9-11 took place. What was going on there then? God was pursuing those individuals who were unsaved before that tragedy took place. He was trying to get them born again before that tragedy took place. There's a pursuing going on. Divine love will always cause Christians to continue to pursue friends and loved ones with the gospel who are unsaved and backslidden. So don't, don't throw up your hands because it's easy to do that in the flesh. You get discouraged with someone. Not, no, keep pursuing because divine love pursues. Thank God that God didn't just throw up his hands, right, on us. Thank God he didn't just throw up his hands and not send Jesus, his son, to die on the cross. No, divine love always pursues. Don't give up on that friend or loved one who's not born again. Now, um, divine love takes every opportunity to bless others when they are able to do so. Unlike the world in which we live, the Christian should not have the mentality of, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I confess, I did that with Elizabeth, all right, just recently. I said, I'll scratch yours if you scratch mine. I shouldn't have done that. I repent. <laughs> no, but for real, we ought not, we ought not to have that mentality where wait for them to do something nice for us before we bless them, right? We're always looking to outbless someone else, right? So it takes every opportunity. In fact, James chapter 4, verse 17 says this, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. So if you have it in your hand to bless someone, a poor person or whatever, and you don't and you know you should have, to you it's sin. Right? That's what James 4.17 says. Divine love is unconditional. Divine love is giving. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Okay, he loved the world. What was the cause of that love? says there, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Divine love gives to meet the need no matter if it's a friend or an enemy. The word of God says, as I touched, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait. God didn't wait to send the sacrifice or the provision. Amen? Um, now I got to touch on this because the Holy Spirit really laid this upon my heart too. You need to realize that God even loves those who are in hell right now for eternity. Well, how can you say that? That's a pretty bold statement. Well, because God provided their provision to be saved, but they disregarded it, right? God even, God's heart's broken when people die and go to hell for eternity. He doesn't, that's not his will. That's not his will. Like I said, that everything that happens on this earth is not the will of God. If that was the case, well, that would mean rape, murder, and all this other junk that happens, drive-by shooting. Everything that happens on this earth must be the will of God if it's happened. No, no. Everything that takes place is not the will of God because we know it's God's will for every person to be saved. Is every person saved? Does every, is every person saved when they take their last breath on this earth? Are there people in hell right now? Well, then everything must not be the will of God that takes place on this earth. We have, some part, we have a part in it. We have a part with what happens on this earth. Now, um, next, divine love is unselfish. Divine love is unselfish. Jesus said in John 15 that greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. See, Jesus wasn't just talking about physically dying for another if need be, but he was saying this, set your agenda, set your desires aside for the benefit of another. He was laying out a principle, right? He wasn't saying just go jump out in the street and get hit by a car for someone else, right? Well, if that's what it took to, to, to save a child or something, yeah, you save someone from doing it. But he was giving us a principle 
that we are to set our agenda, our own desires aside for the benefit of another. That's what divine love does. We know a trademark of the world is selfishness, right? The strongest survives, right? No, we're supposed to look out for other people as Christians. Divine love is unselfish. Next, divine love protects. The word of God is, since God is love, the word of God is filled with promises of protection for his children. Psalm 46 one says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalms 35 says that every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him, right? Isaiah 59.19 says, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. It's talking about protection from your enemies, spiritual and natural. And listen now, how can I tie this into our job as protecting people? We as Christians, being children of God, ought to protect the life of the unborn. We ought to protect the life of the unborn. If a person, now get this now, this boggles my mind. If a person were to murder a pregnant woman and her child in the womb, that person would be charged with two counts of murder. Yet, listen, it's legal for a doctor to induce pregnancy, pull the baby out halfway, put a vacuum in the head, and suck out the brain. That's legal in this country. And we still have the audacity to say the phrase, God bless America. Yeah, that request gets as high as this ceiling and drops to the floor as long as America's participating in that junk. Right? We ought to protect the life of the unborn. Any person, I'm making a blanket statement here, any person who says that they love God and are pro-choice or pro-murder is a liar. And the truth is not in them. They will have an awakening on judgment day if they don't repent from their wicked ways. Someone need to hear that in the, on the radio broadcast or on the internet somewhere. Next, my last point. Divine love sees the God-given potential in a person. Divine love always sees the potential, the God-given potential in a person. Well, we know anyone, obviously, who would be involved with abortions, first off, they don't see no, any potential in that unborn child because they're murdering it, right? But anyways, divine love sees the God-given potential in a person. Why else would Jesus spend so much time with the unsaved people? Well, he obviously seen something. He seen potential in them that others didn't see. That's divine love. His goal when hanging out with the sinners was not just to chum around with them and go to the bar with them. No. His goal was to lead them to salvation through him so that their potential and purpose can be fulfilled as a Christian on this earth. And that's the only way that your life will... Don't, how many of you want to make an impact on this earth before you go home to be with the Lord? It can only be fulfilled as, as if you're, you're living a life for God. I always say, Lord, I want to make an impact on this earth before I go home to be in heaven for eternity. I want to make an impact. And I know you do too. So uh, if you're walking in divine love toward others, it will motivate you to share Christ with the unsaved. It'll motivate you, as I said earlier, to help restore that backslidden individual who's fallen away from the Lord. Now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. I want to end with reading 1 Corinthians 13. This is a great definition of love. I can't preach on love without reading um, 1 Corinthians 13 to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, and I'm just going to close with this. You want to know what love means? Well, you'll find it in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. It says... Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, nor does it seek its own. See, it's unselfish. It, it is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity or sin, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. In other words, love abides forever, right? How many of you are going to walk in love? Let's stand in this place. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that this message that was spoken today, I pray that you would engraft it on the hearts of the listeners in this place, those who are listening to me on the radio and on the internet around the world. Now, maybe there's someone in this place. You have not taken that step of making Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. Jesus said that you're a child of the devil. You have no part of our Heavenly Father. You have no part of the blessings that are contained in the Bible. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ that you can be saved. You can do all the works, you, good works you want, but the fact still remains. The one question that's going to be asked when you, take, when you get to heaven, what did you do with my son Jesus? That's it. He's going to be looking for the blood. Is the blood on you? The blood of Jesus. If you've never made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, I want you to come to this altar, and I want to pray with you this morning so that you can have a new birthday. Yeah, the born again experience. A new birthday. Now, maybe you've been a Christian for a while, and maybe you're the one who I've talked about who's backslidden or who have fallen away from the Lord. And frankly, you don't know if you took your last breath today that you would be going to heaven for eternity. Well, friend, that's not a good gamble to take. If you're not sure of your eternal state and you want to be sure and you want to rededicate your life to the Lord today, I want you to come down to this altar. And I want to pray with you so that you can know that you know that if you took your last breath today, you will be in heaven forever. Maybe uh, you've been a Christian for a while. You're born again. You love the Lord with all your heart. But maybe you never received the Holy Spirit baptism. Jesus said in Acts 1.8 that you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in your spirit. But then there's a second experience called the Holy Spirit baptism where the Holy Spirit endues you, comes upon you to receive power to be a witness for Jesus. In Acts 19, Paul asked certain believers, they were Christians, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Well, the fact is there is a second experience. If you never received the Holy Spirit baptism, I want you to come to this altar and I want to lay hands on you and pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit baptism. Lastly, maybe you have a physical infirmity in your body. Maybe you have an infirmity in your mind, emotionally. Maybe you just need some prayer for a situation in your life. If that's you, I want you to come to this altar and I want to pray with you this morning. So those four things, if you need that, I want you to come forward. If not, just worship the Lord as the music plays. down to the altar and pray and seek the Lord for yourself.
Think about what Jesus did for you on the cross as this last song plays here. Isn't that a pretty song? Well, 
Um, remember, Wednesday, don't show up here. Show up at the, at the new building there. We'll be doing some cleaning. Put your cleaning clothes on. Also, I told you why it might go into October about going into the new building. Well, it's either going to have to be before Pastor George comes or after, and I know we're not going to be in before. I said, I'm being a little selfish on this one. I said, I want to be the first one to preach in the new building. So that's why we're probably going to hold off and go in. So hallelujah. Oh, uh, be in prayer for me this week, uh, Friday morning. I'm flying out to Minneapolis. I'm going to be helping Bob Larson at his conference. So out to Minneapolis. And then two weeks later on a Friday, I'll be back Saturday, Saturday, but two weeks later, I'm going to Boston to help him. So I got some cool trips coming up. So can't do any sightseeing, though. I mean, it's only one night, but uh, praise God. But be in prayer for me. Have a blessed week. Adios. <laughs> Good job. With rain.